Friday. Well, it's Friday right now when we're recording, when we're doing this show live. I don't know what day it is when you're listening to this in the future. I don't know what time it is. I don't know what century it is because I think that the stories we tell here on Philanthropy and Focus are forever because nonprofits change the world. Nonprofits make the impact. Nonprofits do the jobs. If it wasn't for the nonprofit sector, I tell you this every single week and I tell you this even I, I just tell people in my own world that if it wasn't for the nonprofits, who does this work? It doesn't get done. That's just a matter of fact. 74 episodes into this, I'm bold enough to tell you that. A bunch of episodes back, I might have said, well, you know, but who am I offending? Am I going to offend people? No, this is, <laughs> this is the sector that changes the world. This is the sector that clothes those who need clothes. This is the sector that feeds those who are food insecure. This is the sector that serves those with intellectual developmental disabilities and provides healthcare to those who need it and have no other access. Nonprofits change our world. I'm your boy. I'm fired up today. Obviously, you can hear it in my voice already. I'm fired up for nonprofits. I'm fired up because I am the nonprofit sector connector. So what the heck does that mean? Well, let me tell you, all week long, I've been spending time with nonprofit leaders. Today, with Charles Evdos from Rise Life Services is a culmination of that. But even after I leave here today, I'm going out to scoop Italian ices at the Waterfront Center, thanks to my dad. Ralph's Ice is out in Huntington. Charles, we'll talk about that because if we got to get some ices out to Riverhead, we'll we'll get it. We okay. I got enough ice cubes, I got enough coolers, we'll get them out to Riverhead. But you know, the, yesterday I had uh, one of the interviews with a semifinalist for the New York City Imagine Awards. The same on Wednesday, and one later this afternoon uh, at four thirty after I scooped the Italian ices. I tell you all of that because it re- it just reflects the passion I have for this sector. Where do we do this show from? Well, got to tell that cute joke. I'm in my attic. I came up two flights from the kitchen and I forgot one of my water cups. I had to go back down two flights to the kitchen and then come up to the attic again. But I caught my breath and I'm relaxed again and we're ready to get rolling. So every week we do the show. We've been doing the show since January of 2021. And I give you this promise. As long as I am able to bring people on this program to tell their story and help them amplify their message, well, then you'll get me here. Philanthropy and Focus is the name of the show. Tommy D is the name of the guy. Every week we do this, Charles Evdos, my friend. We've hung out together. I've been down in Atlantic City. I remember one time we had a whole bunch of seafood when we were down in Atlantic City, one of those wine tastings and what. I don't drink the wine, but I like to eat the seafood when we're down there. I'm glad to have you here. This is a special opportunity for you to come on the show to tell the story. I know I always, when we talked earlier this week, I always tell folks, I want you to tell your story, your background, and then I want you to tell the programs that the organization is doing and the impact. But your story is is not one that started out in nonprofit, right? You don't come from like always being in the nonprofit sector. You come from journalism and business, and there's a, a grander story there. And I want you to share with the folks today how we get from the business world and why, what was the why that pulled you into serving the nonprofit sector. Before we do that, I just want to read Charles Evdos is the executive director of Rise Life Services, which is an aid to the developmentally disabled company. This organization was established in 1980 and has 32 residential facilities, two without, with, without walls, day programs for their participants, and an ever-evolving array of programs to serve not only their participants, but to serve the community at large out on the east end of Long Island. Charles, how are you? Welcome to my show. Welcome to the attic. What's up? Good morning, Tommy. Glad to be on the show. Uh, I love your energy. Uh, this field requires caring individuals like yourself, and it's beautiful to see that. And uh, I really thank you for being on the show. I want to get the message out there. Absolutely. It's funny. I just grabbed this cup of water, and ironically, it's a cup from Rise, <laughs> Rise in Spirit, which we will talk about. Rise Life Services plus the Spirit of Huntington. We'll talk about that. We will get into that. So tell me your story, Charles. I want to know your background, what brings you to this. I I have questions about development because I know from a legacy perspective and, and having people leave money in their wills to organizations, I've seen you have those conversations. So, but tell me how this all started for you. Well, I've been in business, uh, in business for over 50 years. Uh, I started off at the Daily News as a copy boy going through college. And uh, to my surprise, uh, I knew very little bit about journalism. Uh, my writing skills weren't that great. But I met this individual called Chili Allen. He, was, he had one deformed arm, and he was 
he would always curse at the editors, the reporters and stuff, but we became friends and he taught me journalism. And before I know it, I became a copy desk clerk. I became an editorial assistant. When I got my CPA from Pace College, they promoted me to, well, I was a reporter, then they promoted me to a financial analyst and then a budget manager. So I worked my way up to the, up to the Daily News uh, and it was a lot of fun. And what happened with the Daily News, unfortunately, back in 1980, when the Tribune Company was trying to sell the paper, they came back and said, hey, look, if we can't sell the paper, we're going to close it. I went to the publisher, Bob Hunt, at the time and said, Bob, you know what? There's four million circulation out there. What are you, nuts? You're going to just throw that away? And I said, would you mind if I seek out uh, investors to start my own newspaper? He said, sure, no problem. Never thinking that I would get background, you know, getting people to back me up. But to his surprise, with what I was able to do, I used to do tax returns for uh, Kay Gardella, Jimmy Breslin, Ed Sullivan, and I went to all the top reporters and said, look, if the, new, if the news uh, can't sell it, they're going to close it. I'm going to give you a 10-year contract, pay you the same amount of money, uh, but I'd like you to work for me. I took those contracts. I met with Donald Trump, Tom Carvel, Bob Ablenap from uh, his father invented the aerosol spray can, President Nixon and a few others, and got $200 million worth of backing, contingent upon the news closing. I invested quite a bit of money also into this project. But uh, what happened was, unfortunately, the Daily News, Bob Hunt at the time came to me and said, Charlie, uh, why don't you buy the paper? And I said, Bob, you have 5,000 employees. The, the unions are killing the paper. Yeah. I can produce the same paper with 300 employees. Why would I, in my right mind, buy the paper? Right. I said, if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, not be able to sell it and close it, I'm gonna start the paper, and I had everything in place ready to go. The Daily News came back to me and said, Charlie, you have to stop what you're doing or quit. I said, I guess I'm gonna have to quit. And uh, unfortunately, what happened? The Daily News sold their property on 220 East 42nd Street uh, and sold it for like 320 million and kept the paper going. So they were able to keep going because they had yeah. liquidated. Yeah. But it was it was a great experience. Wow. It, it uh, really got my brain, business brain going. So does that, and, did, did, that's like, had you done anything similar to that in the past? Or this was like this, because that, that's a big growth experience there. No, I, I never did. <laughs> I, I, I guess my uh, being at Pace College, which really taught you about business, uh, really helped me uh, grow. No question. That's incredible. Tom Carvel. I mean, listen, I love, you know, Wednesdays at Carvel. If you're not on Long Island and you don't know what that means, it means that you get two Sundays for the price of one, which when you have four kids is, is a good thing to, <laughs> to be able to do. And I will tell you, Charlie, and, and if anybody else hears this, I will, I guess I'll have to admit that it happened, but I've caught myself at a Carvel all by myself on a Wednesday. And, you know, you get two when you got to, you know, I say, can you hang on to one? Let me eat this one in the car. I'll come back in about 15, 20 minutes, and I'll eat the second Sunday. But that's a whole other problem for another show for another <laughs> day. But soft ice cream from Carvel is, is a good thing. So, yeah, so that doesn't happen. That doesn't go through. But you learn so much, which obviously has carried you through in so many other aspects of your life. So tell me about that. Well, being at the, I was at the Daily News for about 13 years. Uh, during When I was at the Daily News, uh, I, I got involved with gas stations. Uh, and what happened was my brother-in-law, George, uh, got in trouble with sales tax. He owed $750,000. And this is back in, now, I think it was 72, 73. And that's a lot of money now, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not a CPA, but I grew up working at ADP, that and payroll tax, that's not your money. They don't want to hear that you don't have that. That's You're, you're <laughs> collecting that money that is not yours, right? They don't, like, that's trustee tax. Is that how they say it, right? Like, you're just gathering the dough. I don't, what do you mean you don't have my $750,000? Unfortunately, he had a gambling problem. Oh. And he spent the money. And uh, he said, Charlie, can you look into the case for me? I said, George, I looked into it already. Your accountant yourself did nothing over that period of time with sales tax. You ignored them. Technically, I'll bail you out, but uh, let me see what I can do. And fortunately, my daily news experience, I knew State Senator Warren Anderson, who was in charge of finance committee. I said, Warren, can you open this case for me again? And he did. And we settled for 50000 Wow. And uh, unfortunately, George didn't have the money. I gave him the money to to get him out. 
out of that uh, disaster. And so I got into the gas station business. And uh, all of a sudden, we had the gas shortage. I made my money back within uh, basically a three to four week period. So I said, this is a great business. I'm going to open up some more gas stations. And I did. You did. How many did you get to? I had five altogether. Wow. Where about? Uh, in, then, in the city or in Long Island? Well, mainly in Huntington. I had owned all the Sunokos in Huntington. Oh, no kidding. And one in Astoria. Okay. You know, being Greek. Well, you I, if you didn't have some kind of business in Astoria being Greek, I don't know what, you know, we'd have to talk <laughs> right. about that. It wasn't a diner or anything. Like no, that. no, no, no. <laughs> but my nickname when I had the guest, they used to call me Charlie Sunoco. Charlie uh, Sunoco. <laughs> because I owned all the Sunoco stations in Huntington. But it was a good experience. Uh, I also opened up other businesses. And I sold everything and then decided, you know what? If there's something I have to do, what should I do? I decided to go into the not-for-profit field. Why? Well, what, what, well, I mean, you're a successful businessman. And I, I understand, I think I understand why somebody does it. But, like, you know, what was it that drew you, Charlie? Tell me that. There were two things. Uh, when I was at the Daily News, uh, what's his name now? I forgot his name. Uh, Geraldo Rivera, excuse me. Uh, I did a, a story on Geraldo Rivera about Willowbrook. Yeah, with Vicky Schnapps. And, and that, so you that, obviously, that was the first seed that was planted in my head. That's so, so that story, which we should probably get into if you if you can do some details on it, but that's Vicky Schnapps. And I know Vicky for many, many years to so the right. courier, my days in Bayside, Queens with ADP and whatnot. But, you know, that goes back. Is that 40 years? No, it's more than that. It's yeah, like 50, more than 50, that. Yeah. 50 years ago, right? Or, or 45 50, years ago? 50 years ago, a little bit more than ago. that, too. Yeah. But uh, he was the first... Uh, reason why I got into it. The second, I have a niece who has cerebral palsy and she's no mobility and no communication skills. She comes in Thanksgiving dinner. She was about eight years old at the time, hits a button and says, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I love you. Well, when I heard that, I said, this is what I want to do. God just told me. And uh, that's when I decided to get into the not-for-profit field. And I sold all my businesses and so this now, one, you know, took a couple of time, took a year or two off and then focused on the not for profits. You know, what I love about that is, is, um, and I had, a, I had the fortunate opportunity yesterday to have a meeting with a man who, um, who runs as a CEO of a nonprofit organization, which he, he'll be on this program for sure, but they're businessmen running a nonprofit. And that is, you know, we know you and I know this and many listening know nonprofits are businesses. You know, it's, it shouldn't be this hat in hand. Look, we operate at such a small amount of our budget, you know, and we don't we, we, we utilize such little money to take care of our employees, which I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about, you know, that just recruiting and uh, attracting and retaining and recruiting people. I want to get into that because I know, you know, your staff is incredibly important to you and your organization. So at some point we'll talk about that, but I love the fact that somebody who has had such success in business, you know, air quotes, business corporate, right. Not, not for profit brings that knowledge and that expertise and those disciplines to this space. Not to say that no one does that in, in the nonprofit sector, but I feel like sometimes it's a badge of honor that we don't spend any money. And I, I think there's some of us that need to sort of change that. But we'll, we could talk about that when we come back. So this is a perfect break. So your, your niece comes in. That's the super inspiration. You sell these businesses and you're about, you take some time off and you're going to embark into nonprofit, the nonprofit sector. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out in the next episode of what happened with Charles Evdos in nonprofit. We'll be right back. Philanthropy in Focus. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Each week on this program, we do, we do a lot of things, but specifically there's two things we focus on. I bring the leader of a nonprofit on to help them tell their story and amplify the message of that organization, amplify the importance of the work they're doing, the impact they're making, the programs, and then always towards the end of our program, what do they need, who do they want to connect with, and how can you all and me together help them? Charles, you, you're, you have this, I'll call it an epiphany, and I like to say epiphany because it's the, you know, January 6th, a little Christmas, that's my birthday, so I like to say that word epiphany, plus it's a fun word. So you have this epiphany, it's a, it's a total life change, you're going to go in a different direction, tell us about that, when, where do you go, when do you first make that foray into nonprofit? Well, uh, my specialty was restructuring reorganizations, and uh, I joined Lake Grove School uh, as their business manager, uh, helped them grow and got them to the level they needed to be. Uh, I then joined Apple, which, which was a drug treatment program, and they were in bankruptcy. And I was able to help them get out of bankruptcy and got them to merge with Phoenix House, mm-hmm. uh, which enabled them to really meet the demand of the substance abuse uh, you know, period. Uh, and it's a shame what happened there. Uh, when Apple was started, they used to have a, a person was in treatment for a year. And then New York State, to save money, cut it back to 90 days, which was a stupid mistake on New York sure. State's part. And uh, I think that's what leads to a lot of their problems today with a lot of these kids taking the different drugs out there and dying. It's sad. It really is. Yeah. And then I went on to uh, Head Start, uh, became the deputy director. Uh, my next big step was uh, several polls in Nassau County. Yeah, was supposed to stay for five years. Stayed fourteen. And that, and and at CP Nassau, you were there fourteen years. So that's sort of when I became aware of you because you know my business partner and very close friend Ed Probst is on the was only was originally just on the foundation board is now on the foundation board and the board. So you know Ed and you had developed a relationship. Um, at CP, you were in a development role mainly, right? Is that is that accurate or, or not always? That's, that's correct. Uh, when I went for the interview, Bob McGuire, who's the executive director at the CP, also, yeah. he wanted me to be their, their CFO. And uh, I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do fundraising. Uh, develop, this is, being the CFO, you have to be the bad guy all the time. I want to be the good guy for a change. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, I took the job and we did great over that 14 year period. We, we started an endowment. We built it up. <clears throat> we, we were doing about 11 to 12 events a year. And it was a lot of fun. It, and it was a good experience for me for fundraising. Uh, and again, my business background really helped me generate the funds that uh, CP National needed to grow and to cover a lot of their expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you go over there, were you, did you, were you interviewing for the CFO role or you went over there as the fundraising in your mind? No, I went over there for the director of development. You were, That's why you were there. Okay. Yeah. And Bob McGuire wanted me to you know, interview yeah. for the CFO. And I said, yes, me one more time. I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, I, I really wanted to do the director of development. You know, the money wasn't the issue for me. Right. Uh, I really wanted to get experience doing that. I want to, I want to talk about, um, you know, where I've heard you talk about this before and I've been at events with you and I, I joke a little bit about the Atlantic City event, which you do a, a really nice event down there for, for 
for the donor population and, and even some of your staff that I've met over the years that, that comes on that trip. But I remember you, you have like a brochure or a flyer, something to talk about, you know, having people leave money in their will or, you know, in their, it's in their estate. I'd love for you to spend some time on that because I know it's something you're passionate about. And I think it's something really a learning opportunity for other leaders, whether it be development leaders or, you know, CEO, executive director. Sure. Uh, 70% of the attorneys out there in the, on Long Island that I know of do not have wills. 70% of the attorneys that you know. It's amazing. I couldn't believe the figure. And the problem is if you don't have a will, then New York State gets involved in the federal government. And instead of your estate or family getting the money that they deserve, the government's going to take 65% of it. Uh, it makes no sense not to do a, either a special needs trust or have the basic will where you can designate who gets the money. Now, what's important is there are ways to establish trust and your will where you can not only give it to a charity and to your family, and the IRS gets pretty much zero uh, and the New York State. So, so, so let, me, let, me, let me pause you for a second because sure. this is critical. So as a CPA, you said you graduated from Pace. They gave, gave you great background in business. So you have that mindset of, of finding a way. There's nothing wrong with having the IRS get nothing if it's structured correctly. This is just, if the money's going to disappear to the IRS, why not have it go to a better cause? I think that's Absolutely. where we're going, right? Yeah. Right. And, the, and honestly, the IRS, incur- that's why they created that uh, chattel deduction so it, people can help organizations like RISE. Yeah. It's so important. It really is. And if you set it, you know, there's insurance policy you can set up. There's probably a hundred different vehicles. And each everybody's situation is different. Uh, you know, depending on your tax, uh, uh, just the tax level and your estate, you know, maybe just a will is good enough. But if you go over a certain $6 million and you have a big estate, you don't want the government taking most. Of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. a, you know, that's great. That That's such a such a good opportunity for organizations to learn about. Charles, I, I want you to tell me about this organization. Have you been there six years already? Is that what you said? I'm sorry, Tom, repeat you're, that. You're at, you're at Rise now for six years already? About six years, correct. That went fast. I apologize. I have the Long Island Railroad. Maybe that's why you couldn't <laughs> hear me. The railroad, and, and you know, living here on Long Island, it basically wherever you live, you're going to hear the railroad because it's it's sort Absolutely. of everywhere. But where I, the attic is right next to the train station, and some folks give me a hard time and they think the attic is at the train station, but it's pretty close. It's it's close, but it's I not. I thought you had a horn in your office. <laughs> no, no. And they've been doing some signal, um, I don't know, signal work. They up and down like around one o'clock in the afternoon, even testing this thing out. It's got worse than ever. I remember, I'll tell you one quick anecdote. I, I man, John, who sold us the house here, I looked over and I go, wow, the, the railroad's right there. That's pretty close. You know, it's about a block, a block and a half from, from my, my home. <laughs> I'm a salesman, Charlie. I would, I would bring you into the, the tribe of salespeople as well. Cause you know, and I say, I love salespeople. I think we're great. Um, and he goes, nah, Tommy, you'll never hear that train. And I, <laughs> and I never did cause I was never home. And then a pandemic happened and now I always hear the train. So he must've known that how hard it was to get me out here to look at the house. He knew I'd never be around, but I always hear the train now. Anyway, let's, let's go back to this six years at, at rise. I want to know what are the programs that, and the impact that the organization is making, but I want to hear it when you see the faces of the individuals that you work with and, and as, as you met, you and I may have talked about my cousin, Linda uh, passed away about nine years ago when Linda had uh, uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities, special needs, as we used to say. And, um, and there's a foundation in my cousin's memory, the Lindy Lou foundation and my aunt, my cousins uh, put this foundation together and I serve as the big mouth who helps hand out some of the money. That's kind of my role on the board of that organization. Um, I feel that over the years, you know, you talk about Willowbrook and um, and sort of the tragic way that individuals with either mental health issues or, or intellectual and developmental disabilities were treated or um, were, were provided or not provided services that were necessary. I feel in a lot of ways as we sit here as 2022 that we've evolved and we've become more mindful of doing what is appropriate and what is how we should serve these individuals 
your organization does an incredible job of, of taking care of, of, of folks, whether it be on the residential side or the dayhab side or the without wall side. Um, tell me about that and tell me about the impact that the organization makes. Well, if you think back to the Willowbrook days, when New York State decided to disband uh, those psychiatric centers, uh-huh. uh, they were supposed to do, take those dollars saved from those uh, institutions and reinvest it in facilities like RISE throughout uh, New York State. It was great the first 10 years, 15 years, whatever it was. They were investing the dollars that needed to be running the operations. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what happened was when Governor Cuomo got it into, uh, became governor of New York State, our agencies received no COLA, no increase mm. for 12 years. Wow. Now, over that period of time, it, 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 agencies started hurting. And I, I believe Cuomo's goal was to close agencies or have them merge. Uh, there was no uh, add-on of additional housing. People were aging out. Uh, it's, it, it was just a shame the way things were done. Uh, I think the pandemic really opened up people's eyes because our, our employees, our direct care workers are essential employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was made very clear when they, you know, when, some, when somebody in a, one of our sites got the, you know, the coronavirus, we had to shut down that operation and the people, those staff would have to stay there for a week to two weeks taking care of those individuals. Uh, the problem is in this field, the direct care worker makes 15 to $16 an yeah. hour. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about that, Charlie. Because I got to be honest, I, I, I'm kind of pissed off about that. That's actually a fact of life. Because this something is, and, and you and I are on the same side of this argument. But let's let's talk about this. Because how is that okay? And, and I was at an event for an organization. I won't mention the organization by name, but I was at an event earlier this week. Big, big um, organization here on Long Island that you and I are aware of that serves the same population that you serve. Thousands of employees, and the person who was who's speaking at this particular event was referencing that $15 an hour. Now at $15 an hour, direct care workers, and, and I've had conversations with people who have been physically hurt by the, the participants they're serving at a $15 an hour rate on a Tuesday and Wednesday morning, they're right back at the residential home helping these people. Now I'm not judging the participants who are going through their, their, uh, intellectual developmental disabilities or the mental health challenges. What I'm judging is the fact that how are we allowing people to get 15 bucks an hour? You go work, you'll leave there, you'll leave rise with these other organizations to go work at McDonald's to get a different benefits package or something like that. So we are going to go to break, but I want to drag this out a minute or two before we go to a break. Talk to me about this because it's not right. It's wrong. Absolutely. Like you said, Tommy, they can go to our direct care workers go to McDonald's, make $18, $19 an hour. The direct care workers are required to get skip training, certified in CPR. They have to go through a whole process. And the individual that comes to this program is a caring individual because they love this field. And, it's, and again, going back to what Governor Cuomo did for 10 to 12 years with no cola, uh, cola that was disgusting. Yeah. I mean, you know, living on Long Island, first of all, is not easy. And the direct care workers that we have and and other agencies have work three jobs just to make just they have to work multiple jobs to be able to take care and provide for their family. You know, there's, there's too much wrong with it. And if we, when we come back, if if we could stay on this topic a little bit, because I, I, I want to drive home the point of, well, I want to get your perspective on how this gets resolved. I mean, it obviously is going to take lobbying. It's obviously we got to go to the governor. We got to have these conversations, right? It, that's that's part of it, right? Yes, absolutely. All right, that, we'll talk about it. Yeah, let's do that. Let's you and me. You do a you do a TV show, so you know what I'm doing here. So you're like, <laughs> Tommy, take the break. You said you were going to take. We're going to take a break. Dylan, take us a break. We come back. Charles Evans, Tommy D in the attic, philanthropy and focus. Right back. Thanks. Howdy, hey, Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. 
This shuttle features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. And we are back. All right, Charles, we're both disappointed in the way that, that the dollars are allocated for staff in an organization like yours, but it's not, it goes across the nonprofit sector, but it's certainly in the direct care workers, whether it be mental health or in IDD. And I, I always try to fill out the acronyms for people, intellectual and developmental disabilities. So let's talk about that, Charles. It, it, from As an organization, of the size of yours and, and the coalitions and the alliances, what does that look like to try and improve these situations? Well, Tom, what really annoys me with New York State uh, is that uh, their same type of facility, the direct care worker makes anywhere from $22 to $25 an hour. They, they get full hospitalization. They get a pension plan. And we can do it cheaper and better. And to me, it's discriminatory. So, I mean, so how, let me let's let me get clarity on that. So, you mean if New York State employees who are doing similar work, right? Is that, okay, okay. Yes, absolutely. And 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 it's not right. And really, we the alliances that have gotten together are fighting the state. And I think the pandemic made New York State realize, you know what, we have to do something. These are essential employees. I know Governor Hochul has made progress in giving giving us a five point four cola. They're trying to increase the salary of the direct care worker, and that's all going to help. I no question, and I, and I think they have to make the investment in this field. They really do, and, and make up for those twelve years. Yeah, yeah. Work. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's like one of those situations. Like, I, you know, it's like you. I, I don't know. It, it, well, that's great. Thank you. But what is the cumulative damage to that income over all those dozens of years? Like, you can't. Can you give me a hundred percent now to make up for it? That's not realistic. We're not going to get that. Right. So it's, you know, I remember what this used to happen with the city of New York and I don't know enough about it to speak like in the specifics, but I remember when the cops and the firemen wouldn't get a new contract for a bunch of years and then they would get, and then they would help them and then to get the retro pay and things like that. But I'm not sure it ever made them whole from the beating they took over those years when they weren't getting you know, when they weren't getting those, those increases. So I, I want to go into, cause we, I want to have another whole conversation with you one day. Maybe we'll do a show about it. Maybe, you know, to talk about addressing what we just spoke about, but I want to get into the work that rise does, whether it, you know, the, the new pantry, the new elevations clinic treatment center for mental health. I mean, tell me what a day in the life of, of the, the executive director, the CEO of this organization, you have so many programs. I want to learn about that. And I want people to hear about it. Sure. Uh, when I came on board about six years ago, RISE was strictly a residential facility. That, that model would, doesn't work anymore. You have to diversify. And if we would have stayed as a residential facility, we would have closed or we would have had to merge with another agency. So I began looking at where can we uh, diverse, make the diversification work. And we looked at uh, a no-walls program, which was an adult program. Uh, we opened that up. 
the demand was unbelievable for it. Uh, so we decided to open up another one. We, then we found out the food, uh, we opened up two food pantries because the need for of, of the homeless and people starving on Long Island had gone up 300%. During the and, pandemic. Over that, during the pandemic. And, me, and it's still bad. Let me ask and you, that, we, I, I, I want to talk about the, the hunger and homelessness, but I want to go back for a second because I, I don't think enough people realize the, the demand you say for the without walls is because of the aging out, the the, the scenario of right. aging out. Can you speak to that a little, little bit so people know what that mean, what I mean by aging out? Basically, anybody turning 21 and over uh, ages out. And what happens, New York State's encouraging families to have their child or, or uh, guardian or whatever it may be stay at home. Now, a picture a, a, a child that's 21 years old sitting in front of a TV all day. I mean, first of all, their quality of life stinks. Yeah. And the purpose of the No Walls program is to get the, the individual out into the community and offering, offering services that they can go to and improve their quality. Mm-hmm. That's why, the, to me, the No Walls program was a no-brainer because we can provide that, those services that were desperately needed for these individuals. The other part that stinks is that when somebody turns 21, Okay, the, the father and mother can take care of the child, but when they get to be older, when the, you know parents get to be 70, 80, they can't take care of that child anymore. And the problem is New York State did not, we were talking about those reinvestment dollars. They stopped reinvesting dollars in adding more beds on Long Island and New York State. And people, there was a waiting list to get to find housing. It's not right. Again, it's changing, thank goodness, but uh, that was part of the problem. Uh, and what we found with the No Walls program was so popular. Uh, we had the opportunity when we opened up uh, this, with Spirit of Huntington, we did a collaboration. Yeah, let's tell tell me about that. And I do have the coffee mug. Shout out to Michael Katakis and Eric Price and the team over there and Diane and everybody. I'm on the board of Spirit of Huntington. I got, I feel like I'm on CNBC. Full disclosure, I'm on the board of the organization. So, <laughs> um, so, so tell me what that opportunity, how did that happen? Well, Michael Katakis, who is the executive director of Spirit of Huntington, approached me and said, Charles, would you be interested in doing a program together? Come down and let's talk. As soon as I saw the building, my light, the light bulbs went off in my head. Yeah. And I said, wow, this would be great. No wall. That probably wasn't. So Charles Evdos probably wasn't there. Charlie Sunoco saw it, like when he got to that <laughs> building, saw opportunity, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I saw this building. I said, I said, and Michael's a small agency. Yeah. So he couldn't afford to do what we, we had a partner to do. And uh, I said, Michael, let's do it. it, it it's a no brainer. Uh, I said, under one roof, you're going to have a cultural center that features art, music, dance. You have a jobs program. We can then provide a no walls program, outpatient clinic, food pantry, uh, veterans program. And really, it's all under one roof. And there's nothing like it that I know of in New York state and the country. And my hope is to build up a model that we can then franchise it out to various parts of the country because it's a no brainer. It improves the lives of our, the individuals we serve. It also helps veterans. So we, we, we cover the gambit with this, with this yeah. program. It's great. Yeah. I love how you shout out veterans, by the way, because I was going to say it later in the show, but next week is July 1st. And I've decided, which I'm not sure if I've told you this yet, Charlie, but the entire month of July here on Philanthropy and Focus will be nonprofit organizations serving veterans, starting with uh, next week, Homes for the Brave. My friend Vincent Tilly out of uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, will be kicking it off. And then the rest of the remaining uh, four weeks of July, four Fridays in July, will feature uh, five organizations. One week we'll have two organizations, so it'll be six for the whole uh, the whole series. Uh, those all are, are Long Island based organizations that are serving uh, that are serving veterans. So, I, yeah. and, you know, Spirit of Huntington goes, you know, the history there is, uh, you know, they've served veterans from from really from, you know, many, many years ago, almost from in, the inception of, of, of what the work they do there at Spirit. No, we're definitely working with Suffolk County to develop that program. Uh, what, what I found amazing, there's over 7000 homeless veterans on Long Island. 
that that should never happen. Uh, this, is, this is you know, Charlie. I get pissed off, and again, I'm keep cursing, but I get pissed off that anybody should be living on the street. You know that. You know how how can a country or, or even to put the country aside? This island that you and I live on has such wealth. And next to such wealth, you have people that are food insecure and that are sleeping in, in train stations. There's no excuse for this. It, it's it's wrong. It isn't appropriate. Right. I think there needs, Tommy. I think there needs to be a coordination of mental health. Getting these many, the services are there. It, the, the the problem is getting that individual to take the services. I mean, they yeah. have the right to say no, of course. But I think if you show them that, hey, look, your housing is going to be great. The quality of service is going to be great. It's a no-brainer for you to go into this program. And we're going to train you to get a job so that you can earn an income uh, down the line, that uh, you can get off the street and have a normal life again. Yeah. It's 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 sad. Yeah. I, I, I want to um, hear about this pantry because I know it wasn't it, – it wasn't really a plan. It was, I, I, I remember you telling me about it and it was like a reaction to, you know, what was going on, what you saw in the community specifically. Now there's more than one pantry and it's a hundred percent. What we found in the, on the East end of Long Island, it had gone up 300%. So we opened up a food pantry uh, in Riverhead and also one in Hampton Bays mm-hmm. because the need was there. We also purchased a truck to deliver food to the elderly and individuals who could not come to the site. Mm-hmm. We also partnered with Long Island Cares and Long Island Harvest, ShopRite, Panera Bread, and other companies that really help us. The, the local farmers are so generous that they give us fresh vegetables every year, and which is wonderful. And the other big thing that we're doing is at our Century Garden in Northville, we're building a... Uh, a no walls, a, a, another building for the no walls program. And on that uh, century garden, there's a, gar- a greenhouse and we plan to uh, grow our own food and which will help and have our individuals grow the food and also provide food for their sites and for the community. So, so that's also, but that also becomes a, an opportunity for vocation out of that as well, right? You're right. working on the farm, learning different, again, everybody has different abilities. Everyone, Charlie and I have different abilities, right? It's not, some people need support in different ways, different things, but, but we all have, and I think again, going to talk about evolution of a society, like I was saying earlier, how I think we're more compassionate towards this conversation around people with different abilities. Um, you know, I have, I have this friend of ours that, that we network with who goes in and speaks about neurodiversity in, in, inside of corporations because, and again, shout out to Spirit of Huntington. I'm all over the place here, but shout out because their vocational program, Artworks program, is really what drew me through the Lindy Lou Foundation to become a board member of, of the Spirit of Huntington because the Artworks program teaches digital arts at a college-level curriculum uh, two individuals with different uh, neurodiverse individuals. So uh, vocation-wise, though, Charles, that that whole farm program at Century Gardens, that's a whole nother thing that, that you, you're able to give back, aside from activities and without walls, learning skills. Absolutely. And it, and it gives our individuals the opportunity to get out of the house again, work with their hands. Uh, the Century Garden has streams. It's a beautiful piece of property. Where is that? Relaxing. It's in Northville. Okay. I don't even know where yeah. Northville is. It, uh, you have the Northville tanks right near there. The gas okay. tanks. All right. Okay. I, I'll have to, Sound I, Avenue. I want to come for a visit. I want to come out Absolutely. for a visit. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually been years since I came out to even to, uh, to, to the river. But Tommy, one thing that I have to compliment the neighbors, you know, when we first decided to do move the no walls program there, I, you know, whenever a, a not-for-profit opens up a house or a facility. All, all of a sudden, NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. No, not, not, not in my neighborhood. Yeah. But they, we got the neighbors involved. Uh, they looked at the program. And now a number, a number of them have joined a committee to help with the gardening and stuff like that. And they see that, hey, you know what? It's not a bad thing. Right. It's a good thing. It's helping people who have disabilities. Yeah. Uh, and it, I'm, I'm very proud that these neighbors came to work with us and uh, work as a team 
to make everybody's life better. Well, that's right. community. And that's what we're trying to drive home. And, and I think a lot of the theme from today is that that community that you were supporting the community with the pantry and the community and then turn supports you as you're talking about. You know, I had uh, uh, John Kemp, former uh, CEO, director of the Viscardi School, the Viscardi Center, who I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know John over the years and obviously Viscardi. And, you know, maybe it's my own naivete, but I didn't realize the majority of people with a disability were not born with that disability. You know, I imagine many of the folks that you serve, you know, had a disability from an early age or from birth, but you know, people get disabled at later points in their, in their life. And that's the, and John taught me that that's the far majority of people. So what does that mean? There's a possibility that somebody might become disabled. So where's that compassion to look out for each other? That's what we need to have because Nobody chose to be disabled. Nobody chose to have different challenges. We're, we're supposed to hug these people and make each other feel better, you know, whether it be a mental health issue. And I'll get on that soapbox another week, but whether it be a mental <laughs> health issue or um, or some other type of, of, uh, of disability or neurodiversity. So but, Tommy, uh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're all, I know every family has somebody that's either disabled, had a stroke, mm-hmm. you, know, you get cool. older, you, you run into those issues. It's it, it's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. If you stick around long enough. Yeah. 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 No yeah. No question about it. So, all right, we're going to go to a quick break. We come back. It's the, it's the final segment of the show. And it's where we're talking about Charles, where I want to hear, talk to me about the future of the organization. Talk to me about what do you need? Who do you want to connect with? I know somebody like you who's out there in the community, you're meeting people, you know, people, you know, you, you come with business strategy and all that savvy of making connections. But, you know, you talk about Panera, you talk about Long Island Cares, Long Island Harvest. Um, I'd like you to share with us where the organization's going and who maybe through our networks we can bring to support the organization. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... Avengers Assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. All right, Charles, like I said, this is um, final segment, sort of like the lightning round. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, when they asked that question, Hey, what did you want to be when you grow up? Um, I always wanted to be a game show host. So, (laughs) so this is like the lightning round. So before we get into that part, where you're going to tell me about the future of the organization, who, who we might be able to connect you with. I want to ask you um, this. You just told me the other day about this TV show that you have. Can you let's, let's promote that. Tell, tell people about it. Sure. It's a, it's, Long Island Television. It's a cable station uh, on the east end of Long Island. It goes to both North Fork, the North Fork and the South Fork. Uh, the show's every about every two weeks. It airs about nine times. And I bring on individuals uh, who talk about uh, helping uh, people who have disabilities. I mean, the goal of the show is 
I get calls many times, Charles, I have a, a son that has CP. What do I do? Where do I go? Uh, and that's what we talk about. We want to, get, if we can't help you, we want to help you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we create also a helpline, uh, 1-855-RISE-LIFE, which you can call 24-7. And you can also uh, get somebody on the phone. If we can't help you, we will direct you to the proper people. And that, and that incorporates not only the, uh, the disabled population, but our veterans too. Yep. As they, you know, hey, look, I'm homeless. Where do I get some food or housing or whatever? We will help you find it uh, and get you off the street and really provide services that you need. You know, a second ever guest of this show is a good friend of mine, Dr. Larry Grubler from uh, from Transitional Services for New York out in Queens, TSINY. They serve 4,000 individuals with mental health issues. And Larry probably doesn't realize how many times I bring up his one particular comment from that program, but it was something as simple as, Tommy, we all need support at different times in our lives. And that's what it's about. You know, I, I used the quote on the show last week and um, from uh, from Robin Williams and It goes, everyone you meet is going through it. Rather, everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Be kind always. And I love that quote. And it reminds me not to be, uh, or rather to be thoughtful and not to be a jerk and to be caring for people as much as I possibly can. I mean, I'm no angel, that's for sure. But we just try to do the best we can. Um, And everybody needs support at different times. And that's important, Charles. So talk about support. Talk about this organization, a guy who crushed it from a development perspective and what was going to be a a five-year stint, but turned into 14 years over at CP NASA, did great things, built up uh, an endowment and all those things. Tell me what we need. How can we help you at RISE? Well, advocating for our consumers, our individuals is so important. I mean, I've I've probably met with every state legislator in New York state. And I've met with governor Hochul twice mm-hmm. uh, to say, Hey, look, you need to do this. Enough is enough already. And hopefully it's working. But again, you know, an election year is happening next year. I think the money will definitely be in the pot, but my concern is what happens two years down the line yeah. when, uh, when the money's all spent and they look, they look at it and they go, Oh my God, uh, we can't give you a raise because we have a deficit of $2 billion. You know, that's what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Uh, and then you're going to have to say, okay, we have to cut back services again. We can't let that happen. There's got to, you know, I'm sure New Yorkers would be happy to donate 1% of their taxes to taking care of these individuals. Because if we don't do it, it's terrible. It really is. It is. It is. Are there specific, thank you, Charlie, are there specific connections, businesses, you know, because you and I are Long Island guys, we know some people out here on the island. Is there anybody you're trying to connect with that maybe the people listening here local can can get kind of influence those relationships? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the very, we're very fortunate that uh, the, legisl- the legislators do support us, no question. Uh, I think we were talking about endowments before. Our goal, we're trying to build up an endowment here mm-hmm. because uh, the agency, before I took it over, had no endowment, no fundraising. And they just coast, it was coasting along. There was no and fundraising prior to, to you coming on board. Very, very, I should say very little. Let's put it okay. that way. Okay, yeah, yep. Uh, and we, we definitely decided to do, do some events. We started, I started doing the planned giving piece. And right now we have about almost $2 million worth of uh whether earmarked funds or wills that people or insurance policies that people want to do. The goal is to get it up to 5 million and then invest it correctly. And, you know, let's say make 8% on Uh 5 million where you can take 400,000 a year and throw it back into the program. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just in case the state starts cutting again, we can cover our expenses in the future. Yeah. And and again, there has to be that, you know, that protection, that defensive mindset of, of, you know, you run the organization, your team runs this organization, you know, and as I understand it in, you know, state federal dollars, even when they're promised, they can be slow to, to actually uh, be received. And, and many times it's slow to be processed and it's canceled the last minute, even though you've been providing, we had an incident a couple of years back, where we opened up a program, did it, and the state said, oh, we're giving you too much money. We're taking back a million dollars. Oh, I already God. paid everybody. Yeah, right. That's crushing. What, what are you supposed to do with <laughs> In that? In the proper oh. world, that would never happen. 
And, no, and that, that's what stinks. Yeah, no, it's it's terrible. It's it's terrible. There's a lot of things that that for-profit businesses wouldn't stand for that 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 unfortunately, you know, and I've seen a lot. I, I just recently f- completed some coursework with the Institute for Nonprofit Practice, and I see, you know, the mindset of a lot of my colleagues of what the philanthropy means, how how the organizations have to like. Uh, you know, perform and, and, and show and do all these dances to get the dollars from philanthropy, not so much, you know, the, the whole government dollars, a different scenario, but like this, this, this angle, and we're going to run out of time. So I got to stop, but the whole importance of, of what I learned a lot about this week from a, from a gentleman I spoke to yesterday, venture philanthropy, but then this whole ans- answer to trust-based philanthropy, all topics I promise gang will get into going forward. And if you know, folks, that are specialists in those areas. Let's get them on the show. Reach out to me and connect with me. No, absolutely. You know, Charles, I think it's important that we continue to have these conversations. I got to bring the show to a close. Any last mo- thing you want to say for a minute? Well, Tom, one other area that's important for us is we, we have a, a, a fundraising event called Food Stop. Uh, we, we had it last year. It was a success. Those dollars go to help the food pantries because we get no donations dollar, you know, from New York State. Uh, there's no funding from or the federal government, and we count on donations from individuals, corporations to help us fund that. So, when is that event? Tell us about that. Be September 17th at the East Islip Marina, Bayside Clam Bar. Uh, there's going to be a four or five seafood. different bands. I told you there was a theme with you and me. There's going to be seafood. It's the Bayside Clam Bar, <laughs> and there's going to be bands. It's probably going to be a country western theme this year. Last year we had a Beach Boy tribute band, a Beatles tribute band. And a James Taylor tribute band. And we had over a thousand people attend. It was great. Is this on the website already? Uh, it will be shortly. All right. So we'll make sure, Charles, you and I will talk after the show. We'll get it out. Thank you for being here. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Shout out to Mick Collins, Robert Rosner, and Tanya Dival checking in on Facebook and listening in and texting me throughout the show. Next week, as I mentioned, starts off Veterans Month here on Philanthropy and Focus. Vince Santilli will be on the program representing Homes for the Brave. Their focus is, with an emphasis on veterans, we provide the housing and services necessary to help individuals experiencing homeless to return to a productive and meaningful life. Our veterans make the ultimate sacrifice in the times, and those who do come home to us are still in dire need of mental health support, housing, food, and things like that, and we need to address that. And that's why for the whole month of July, that's what we're going to be talking about on the show. Charles, have a great day. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being my friend. I appreciate you. Tommy, thank you. And uh, I, you scored a TD. I did? A After TD. Your initial. That's, it. That's it. That's it. Very cool. Thanks so much, man. I see you soon. I appreciate everybody making a great day. Have a great weekend. See you later. Thank you, Tom. Bye. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble 
On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 